Hello, hey, and welcome to Ask the Color Expert. My name is Elaine Travis. I am a career hair colorist, independent educator, and author of the book, A Colorful Journey. I'm here every week sharing tips, tricks, and stories that are all things hair color. Thanks for joining me, and let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Ask the Color Expert podcast. Today's special guest is RMA. She's the owner of the Azara Salon and Wine, and she has been in the industry for 36 years. She is an amazing colorist. I haven't, I know her as a colorist. I'm sure she does everything amazing, but um, her specialty and what caught my attention in inviting her to the podcast was her um, expertise in all things vivid. Um, you hear me talk a lot on the podcast that it's not my jam. I'm not really good at it. And I know my weaknesses and I love to bring in other people whose strengths complement my weaknesses. So I'm excited to have her here on today's podcast. Welcome, Ara. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So I know that you've been at this for a very long time. I think I said 36 years. I think that we're both uh, either 35 or 36 years, which is a super long time to be in the industry. And I know from your, just from your social media presence and from, you know, hearing about you from others in the industry that you're every bit as passionate today as you were the day you walked out of beauty school. And that's such a gift. I feel the same way. And, you know, so many changes have happened in the industry over over the years, but it's always something new and exciting for sure. Oh, well, you know, certainly education has changed drastically since I was a young hairdresser going to shows as the only way to get any knowledge. And they have changed quite a bit. I haven't actually been to a show in some time because I really lost my taste for them um, as they became to feel more like just selling floors and swap meets. A hundred percent. I actually, right before I logged on with you for the podcast, I got an invitation from a show that will always have a special place in my heart because they gave me my first shot as an educator and gave me a stage. So I feel so um, grateful for that opportunity. And it's hard for me to say no when they invite me back. Cause I'm just so, so grateful to be asked. Um, but I feel the same way, you know, last year, um, my daughter is also my virtual assistant and she comes with me to all of my events. And the last two years in a row, she said, if you even tell me you're even considering doing another show, I'm disowning you. I'm not coming with you. You're on your own. <laughs> so <laughs> they just reached out right before I jumped on here. And I thought it's so hard for me to say a complete no. So I was like, I'm going to reach out and ask for something different. I'm going to see if they'll work with me in a different way, because what I've experienced in the last few years was not working. And I thought if the show itself isn't going to change at the minimum, I want to put the bug in their ear about something that I would like to see be different. And they'll either say yes or no, but I'll feel like I didn't just say no. I gave it, you know, another try. So I'll let you know how that goes. I'll, I'll be interested to see because, um, you know, everyone's looking for that first break and being able to get on stage. 
And, you know, as long as they have other people willing to say yes right away, they're not going to want to change for the people who have come before, if that makes sense. And I know I'm sure you feel that way as an an educator. Um, There's a little bit of, um, especially recently, I've been in that like martyr, uh, martyr mode of like the ageism thing, you know, like, oh, what is she going to tell me? She's, she's been in it too long. She doesn't know what's current, you know, and then you and I know that the fundamentals and foundations never change and that those are the things that are being missed. And it's like, okay, I'm here sharing with you. If, if you're not going to take, if you're not going to take the information that's on you, but it's a shame because you and I have so much to offer the newer stylists. If they can get past the fact that we're not, you know, 21, <laughs> giving it to them. All right. Well, you know, the, the shape of heads hasn't changed over time <laughs> and the structure of hair hasn't changed over time. Just the way we present the material and the, the boundaries were pushed with color long before I ever entered the industry. You know, when uh, in the seventies, the punk rock hairdressers were, were doing much of the things that we're doing now, they just didn't have as many tools to do it and they had to work harder to get there. Very true. I remember when I needed a little shot of inspiration, I would wait patiently for my modern salon magazine or my American salon magazine. And that was it. If you did not travel to the New York hair show for me, I was in PA. Um, if you didn't make the trek to New York and, you know, go in with thousands and thousands of people and have crappy food and be exhausted all day, trying to get some information, that was it. It was you know, a magazine or nothing. Um, and now it's almost too much information and um, people get addicted to the instant hit of like a quick one minute video, but they're not really seeing the whole entire technique or the whole entire picture. And then they're trying to piece together 20 different snippets into one technique while not really understanding the fundamentals of the formulation piece. I always say, I can teach you technique all day long, but if you don't properly formulate, the placement is great, but it's the wrong shade of color. Right. Well, and we all have different learning styles. You know, some people like things fast and some people need things a little more spread out and and, and paced and so that they have time to understand one step before they move to the other. Absolutely. And I, I find people constantly looking for recipe answers. You know, when you see the people asking for help on um, Facebook forums and, you know, I know the answer and I'm happy to give the answer, but I want to draw the answer out of the person asking the question. As a teacher, I don't want to give, you know, the, the what, what were the cheat things in the back of the book? how people used to say, oh, all the answers are in the back of the book and they would just fill in and get a hundred on their test, but it wasn't teaching them anything. Um, right. And the minute you you frame an answer to a question with a question and ask the person, because the, the famous thing is, I already know what I'm thinking, but I'd like some feedback on what you think. They frame it like, I already know, but I'm just asking to make sure. And you know, they don't really know or they wouldn't be asking. <laughs> <laughs> Oh uh, yeah. So the um, the ability to get crowdsourced information is just so different. 
you know, we were, we were limited to the people in our salon or, you know, the color companies had a, a 1-800 hotline you could call. So, you know, there, there is more opportunity to get answers now, but in a vacuum, it is hard to give that. And to be honest, if I'm looking at a photo on my phone, on Facebook, if I pull that up on my phone and have three other people pull it up on their phone next to it, the color rendering is not the same from device to device and screen to screen. So I'm looking at what I see with my eye on my screen, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's what the client's hair looks like. That is such a great point. And it just happened to me with one of my members. Um, I offer a hot seat to people in my membership for colorists. And it's when you're in the salon and you're stuck and you're in a 911 situation, kind of like what you referred to with the old Clairol hotline of, you know, help. Um, this member reached out and she said, my client's in my chair, you know, can you jump on a FaceTime? And she had sent me a photo of this client and I gave her you know, I helped pull out of her what she would do given what I was seeing in the photo. And to your point, it could have been completely different on her end. And she looked like she had very minimal yellow in her hair and she wanted like a, a clean vanilla color. So we chatted back right. and forth and, and we got to where we wanted to be. And then we FaceTimed and I said, oh my goodness, she looks completely different than what was in that photo. So what had happened is when she asked the client for a photo, the client just went through her phone and sent her a photo. It wasn't a current photo of what her hair looked like right then. So, you know, I'm helping her formulate and we're formulating to a color that doesn't even exist on her hair. And I think the biggest lesson that I learned, not as early on as I would have liked for it to have been, but early on in my career is that 50% of your formula is what is coming from the hair and not in the bottle or bowl. And I think that's right. something that's overlooked so much. And these recipes, you know, people are, are um, passing around recipes on the internet and screenshots of, you know, red, my favorite red can shade ZQ formulas and it's vanilla cream and, you know, Arctic ice and all these different terms and photos, but they never show what the hair looked like before the glaze went on. And that's right. the biggest disconnect. And it makes me crazy. It elevates my blood pressure and dumps cortisol into my already fat belly every time I see it. <laughs> uh, well, I, I feel the same way about um, toning in the shampoo bowl. You yes. can't see. You 100%. have no idea what color that hair actually is. So, and it's also, you know what? For the client, it's not all that cozy to sit in the shampoo bowl that long. I 100% agree. I have a whole thing in my manual for my salon. Do not be a lazy glazer. Take the client back to your chair. It is an additional service because to your point, you know, yes, it's not comfortable. Yes, you cannot see if it lightened evenly. There could be patches underneath that are more brassy that need a customized formula. And to the client, it feels like you're putting on a conditioning treatment or something. They don't even realize it's an additional color service. So then when right, they get so to they don't see the value. Yeah, when they get to pay for their service and they see this additional whatever it is you charge for a glaze, they're questioning it, saying, I don't remember that happening at the chair. So there's just so many reasons not to glaze at the sink. And for logistic purposes, I had a salon with, you know, 12 employees and two sinks. So do the math. Oh, we wow. didn't we didn't want we didn't want anybody glazing at the sink because but, we needed the sink for other things. We've uh 
we've been down to two sinks right now because we're in the middle of a, a renovation project. And so uh, we have been doing the dance of don't dawdle at the shampoo bowl. Mm-hmm. You have <laughs> like a whole come off now, now, now. Exactly. You have like a look, an eyebrow look of right, this really needs to, <laughs> yes, this really it? needs to happen first? right now. <laughs> Your haircut does not trump my uh, on scalp bleach that is going to melt her hair off right now. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, we, we would get a lot of pushback. And then we started to do split shifting, which helped a lot. We would scatter people's schedules so that we didn't have everybody, but there was just no way to put additional sinks in the space. And I had had two locations before and I was like, I do not want to do that again. So we just have to be creative. So it's been, I'm I'm happy to hear that you're growing and expanding and in, in 2023 with all the changes that have happened, that's, that's not, you know, <sighs> a common thing right now. A lot of people are going from large to medium or medium to small or small to solo. There's been so many shifts uh, recently in the business. Sure. So what is well, your we, model? Uh, what is your preferred model? We took this opportunity to do these... Re- uh, well, right now we are a booth rental salon uh, and we evolved that way when our long-term staff came to us and said, we don't want to be employed. We want to be our own bosses and set our own schedule, but we still want to be part of the brand that we've worked to create. So rather than us leave and go open up somewhere else, can we be independent here so we restructured that conversation says so much about you as a leader that they felt comfortable to come to you and share their feelings with you about that rather than the traditional let's all go out to eat without Ara and talk about Ara and how we all want to get together and leave her and go somewhere else so kudos to you for having them feel comfortable enough to have that conversation and for pivoting and making it worth worth it and work for all of you. That's amazing. Yeah, it's It's been nice to um, have a, a business for so long and see people who have left to go explore their hopes and dreams, but always feel like they still have a home to come back to. There's no bridges that have been burned. So uh, we have a number of people on staff who have gone off on their journey and, and found their way back home. And it's a, the, the clients enjoy that feeling as well to know that, you know, that there's not that kind of pettiness that you hear about in salons. And yes, women can work together and be working on the same type of uh, vibe and caring. I agree because the client is the one that's always affected the most when a stylist leaves and it's this whole battle of where does the loyalty lie? Does it lie to you as the salon owner who created the culture, who created the relationship in the first place, or are they always more loyal to their stylist? Something that I was always kind of the purple cow in my in my market because I was never stingy with sharing formulas with clients. If they were leaving and going elsewhere, I was happy to give them their formula because they're not coming back. It doesn't matter. Um, And I think 50% of the result is 
the person putting it on and the application, the timing, the, the you know, taking care to put it on properly and tweaking the formula is all part of it. It's not just a recipe. Uh, but when ultimately the client should be the one to decide. And, you know, I've, I've worked at salons where, you know, when I left the client said, oh my gosh, I thought you passed away because I had my tonsils out and I, I missed some work for the tonsil surgery. And when I came back, my one client, Betty, it was like, she saw a ghost. When I walked into the salon, she said, oh my gosh, you're alive. I said, yeah, I mean, it was tonsils. It wasn't anything major. And she said, oh no. <laughs> she said, I called the salon to make an appointment with you. And they said, Elaine is no longer with us. And this somber voice that sounded like I passed away. And I thought, wow, I remember the impact that had on me. I was 21 years old when that happened. And I thought, if I ever leave and open my own salon, which I of course did very shortly after because of that was made one of the main reasons. I said, I will never be the, the gatekeeper of information for if a client wants to find their stylist. Clearly they're happy with that stylist. They have a relationship. Yes, I built the business. Yes, I passed clients on to other people. But if the client connected to that person more so than with me, there's nothing I can do to force her to stay in my salon. I want everyone to be where they are by choice and not by default. I don't believe in contracts with hairstylists. I think an education contract is smart. You know, if you're putting your blood, sweat, and tears into training someone, there should be a reciprocal agreement. But as far as like you have to stay and work here for this many years and you can't work within so many miles, I think those days are gone. I think they end it with you know, all the salon software being available on people's cell phones and they have access to all the information. It's just a different world. Well, and uh, at a federal level, Congress is looking at eliminating non-compete contracts for all business industries. Mm, um, interesting. So yeah, it's, it's um, there's a salon in my uh, area that has been known for vigorously pursuing non-competes against staff who left. And uh, most recently, they did not win. Um, so in retribution, they opened another location next to where the stylist had left and opened their salon. Oh, wow. Um, so that, that's a lot of anger. <laughs> it is. And I just don't, I don't have the energy to be that upset. Uh, and clients are not property. They were, they're going to go where they're going to go. And they choose a particular salon for a lot of reasons, mostly the stylist, but sometimes because it's close to where they work or they like the vibe or their open hours that work. For, I mean, if there's any number of reasons that a salon chooses one place over another. So when we were employment-based and staff would leave, I figured it was fair game for both of us to try and recruit that client back. So the stylist who left could contact them and the salon could contact them and they could decide what they wanted to do. We were happy to see them and we were happy to provide the information if they wanted to follow the stylist. Absolutely. I agree hundred percent because there's nothing worse than a staff member who has quit, but hasn't left the building. They show up every day, they go through the motions, but they're miserable you know, they don't want to be there. The clients can feel it. The staff can feel it. It affects the whole culture of the salon. And I've seen, again, on, on many forums, well, I'm only here because I have a non-compete and I have to stay here for X amount of years because they trained me and that sort of thing. I just think 
I think for that salon owner, it would have been a lot cheaper to get some awesome therapy than to open a salon <laughs> right next door and, and be passive aggressive right? about it. But exactly. I think that's part of, um, you and I were talking earlier, we, we attempted to do this in video and audio. So, so parts of, I don't know what I'm repeating and, and what we didn't talk about on this one. Um, but we were talking about a little bit of ageism as far as us as educators, that sometimes there's a little bit of disconnect where a younger stylist may not be uh, really drawn to me or my, my education because of my age. And they think, oh, she's not, she's not going to know what's hip and new kind of thing. And we talked about how foundations and fundamentals have never changed and that, you know, that's the important part that you can't skip over. But I think what breaks my heart the most with the ageism piece is having that strong mentor that is someone many years your senior that has experienced everything. They've experienced a salon walkout. They've experienced training um, different people in different modalities within the salon. And they have a lot of wisdom to pass on. And, you know, my, my husband's grandmother was so fun to talk to. She was a hairdresser. I always made sure I sat next to her at any family event because I loved her stories. And I think, wow, I really wish that I was as tech savvy then as I am now that I could have recorded our conversations because she had so much to share from her perspective, from the way things used to be in the things that don't ever change. It doesn't matter what trend is hot or hip or any of that. It's like, these are the fundamentals of the relationship with your client that increase loyalty and success in the long run that will never change. And I see a lot of people coming right out of beauty school and right into a suite. So if someone were to come to you with your setup with booth rent, is that something that you would encourage or discourage if someone wanted to come right out of school and rent a chair with you? I certainly wouldn't encourage it. Um, I know there are rock stars who really are ready to hit the ground running. And our space is different because we can mentor people. We do have, we've got three board certified hair colorists on staff. We've got people who have knowledge who are willing to share it. One of our staff is actually an instructor. Um, so, uh, and two of us sit on the uh, advisory board for the local cosmetology school we are happy to share information with people. Um, not everyone wants to receive it. And so um, while I would not immediately disqualify someone from coming in, I might say, well, you know, why don't we just try it for a few months and see how it works? It may or may not be the best fit for you. Yes, absolutely. I, I volunteered my time to teach virtually for a beauty school and the instructor had asked me, before we jumped on, she said, I'd really like you to talk to this one student. She's ready to graduate and she's really determined to go right into a suite. And I've told her my feelings on it. Can you kind of weigh in? I was like, oh boy, this can be interesting. So the student did raise her hand and ask about it. And I said, you know, I was where you are right now. I came out so overconfident and thought that there wasn't anything I could possibly not be ready for behind the chair. And boy, did I not know what I did not know. <laughs> <laughs> and I am here to share that with you. And I said, I really, really highly encourage you, even if it's a month, two months, three months, it doesn't have to be three years or two years the way it used to be in back in my time in the 80s, but at least a few months of 
watching your mentor handle a late client, watching your mentor handle a consultation that's not going well and not moving forward with the service. Like there's so many things that they can't possibly fit into whatever state you're in. For my state, it was 1200 hours. Um, they can't fit that into 1200 hours amongst the other things that they need to do to have you pass your test. And I, some of the techniques that I use to this day came from my first mentor when I was 20 years old, working in a salon, you know, sweeping the floor, tearing the foils, washing the towels. No one loves doing that job, but it truly is the best way to be boots on the ground, educated that you'll never find in a book or on a Instagram reel or YouTube or anywhere else is that interaction and that emotional intelligence piece that we didn't even know we needed to know back then. Right. Well, and the, the one thing that I've been really happy with working with the cosmetology school that I advise is that um, helping those students understand that what they have just received is the skills necessary to be an entry level worker, not that you know everything and that this is all of the education you will need in your life, but this is what you need to start. So if we can really help people understand that beauty school is just the beginning of their education, that can help them have more realistic expectations and not believe that they are you know, ready to take on every project straight out of the gun. If you could have a conversation with your coming out of beauty school self, knowing now where you've come and, and how many things you've accomplished and, you know, the, the speed bumps along the way, the scraped knees and the mistakes and all of the things, what's the one thing that you would tell yourself if you were getting right out of school right now? Well, I was really fortunate because I, the reason I went to beauty school is that I had a family member, two family members in the salon industry already. So I had seen um, from a different perspective kind of what the salon world is like. In fact, that is the reason that I left college and went to beauty school uh, was the experience that I had in my uncle's salon. After working, uh, you know, the crappy college jobs that we all have, uh, food service was a big one. And then I did a lot of front office medical. Um, and so I was surrounded by customers and patients and often staff who were miserable. And they seemed intent to take everyone with them on that journey. Mm. And so I was just not finding a lot of joy. And as I'm you know, going to school and thinking about what am I gonna do with my career, I was getting my hair done at my uncle's salon and one day I looked around and noticed that the staff and the clients in the salon were noticeably happier than the people at my workplaces. Mm. And so I made the decision to leave college and go to beauty school because I wanted to work with happy people. That's awesome. I love that story. And you can, you know, anytime I was in a funk in my salon, I would walk in there. I would really try to leave the baggage outside in my car. I would have a conversation with them. Okay, deep breath, leave it outside. Nobody needs to know that you're having a bad day. And it would have nothing to do with the salon. It would be a fight with my husband or something with one of my children. 
And within 15 minutes, I just brought the whole place down. Just somebody would say something like, oh, how's, you know, if I was fighting with my husband, oh, how's Jeff? And I'd be like, oh, and I would start to just <laughs> unload and I could see it. I could visibly see the thickness in the air of, oh crap, get out of her way. She's in a mood, look out. And then everyone walked on eggshells and then they started to get into a funk and it completely spread like wildfire. And when I look back on it, I say, how wonderful that I could have come in in a really awesome mood and, you know, bringing everybody their favorite coffee drink from Starbucks and setting the tone and uplifting everyone out of their funk into my happy mood. So it can be used both ways, but culture is palpable. Clients feel it. They sense it. They know when something's not right. And I can't tell you how many salon owners that I coach and consult with that will not let go of that bad apple that's like ruining the whole culture because of the income piece. So if anybody listening is in that mode, please do not let money spoil your culture because to Ara's point, like you want to walk into work and feel like that's your second family. I mean, we spend more time in the salon than we do with our own family. So it should, it should feel right. The culture should feel right for sure. Yeah, you, you shouldn't dread going to work. And yes. I've, I've eliminated the clients who used to make me feel that way. I helped them understand that we weren't a good fit and that they would be better served elsewhere. And so now I just don't have any toxic crazy. And so it's, it's lighter, it's easier. It's nice to look at my schedule. At what point though, did you shift into that knowing that you were confident enough to let clients go? Like for me, I, I always call turning 50 the FU 50s because all of a sudden you're like, I don't really care. I really don't care if she likes me or not anymore. Like she's making my life a living hell. Um, so it took me till 50. What was, what was your? Uh... It was midlife for sure, but I think it was more, it was closer to 40. Um, just because I, I had one particular client who just exhausted me. Mm -hmm. And I told her that it just, it wasn't working for me. She wasn't ever happy. She clearly, you know, wasn't satisfied. And yet she kept coming. Mm -hmm. back. <laughs> and, and when I called her on it, she said, well, aren't you glad you're not my gynecologist? Oh. And I said, Oh my God, you're <laughs> like this. with Everyone. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. We all have one. Mine just popped right into my head. Her name was Sandy. She, <laughs> she was a real pill. And I finally just had it. And she wrote me this big, long letter that I was like a daughter to her. She felt closer to me than her own children. I'm thinking, I can see why your children are not close to you. <laughs> I, I suddenly realized why they live all over the country and not anywhere near you. I get it. Um, so yeah, I think, I think with age and experience comes the wisdom of knowing when to let it go and when to honor your own emotional well-being and not let people walk all over you. So I'm glad that you brought that up and you are absolutely amazing. And I know that people listening are going to want more of you. So how can people find you and get more of you? Oh, well, if you want to see the work that I do on clients, you can see me on Instagram at Ara May Hair. 
Um, if you're interested in my lifestyle pursuits and philosophies, you can follow me at the Ara May Way. And if you want to see my side hustle, which is photography, there's Ara May Photo. You are one busy girl. My goodness. I had no idea. I'm going to go stalk all three of those. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for being you. You're amazing. And for all of you listening, I hope that you'll check out one or all of those amazing pages and see how just fabulous this woman is. So thank you so much. And we will see you all on the next one. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Ask the Color Expert podcast. Please subscribe and be sure to leave a review. For more information on hair color education, please visit my website, www.expertcolorsolutions.com. See you soon.